Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 5, Episode 14 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, slated to come out on October 24th, 2022. And we're going to start right off with Original Sin, not the actual concept, but a Pineapple Haze Cider, 6% ABV. Uh, it's by, uh, I don't know, I guess Original original sin brewing yeah original sin brewing i thought I, th- I thought it might have been the the name of it but yeah so uh this one actually has a description on it this tropical fruit is indigenous to south america in the wild pineapple plants can yield fruit of, for up to 50 years pineapple cores contain high levels of bro um bromelain an enzyme that can be used to tenderize meats oh yeah yeah um the sweet and tart qualities of this fruit balance well against the natural acidity of freshly pressed apples. Okay, neat. And it's mm. uh, New York apples and pineapple juice that they use to make this. So. Interesting. I, w- I was going to comment on the flavor, but now I have to comment on that fact. That's a little interesting because, like, pineapple is such a is such an acidic fruit. I think I think it's a little weird to say that you know the non-acidic pineapple matches with the acidic apples. I'm going to switch that around. Apple juice isn't that acidic. But the drink itself, pretty good. I don't like it as much as the mead we did last time. But it's a good quality cider. You can definitely taste the pineapple. It's got some funk to it. I think that's the haze. That's not uh, a bad thing. But I don't think the funk in it quite fits the flavor profile. I think the funk sticks out just a little bit too much. But overall, drink a cider. Yeah, the the... I've, I've tried a couple of different things. I think pineapple really lends itself to like spicier stuff. So like, um, capsicumels, um, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, or, or like, a you know, a Thai chili pineapple wine or something like that. Um, pineapple cider. I've never really thought about because I mean, generally, um, it's it's hard to get that pineapple flavor back out without doing some sort of back sweetening. It's almost like it just kind of disappears into the apple. It's still there, but it just it's it's almost like it's not there. It's kind of like the pepper from the last uh, from that mead that we had last time, right? Um, it's not bad. It's I I mean I wouldn't kick it out of out of the cooler, you know, if I had it there. That's about all I can say about it. It's not really spectacular either. It it doesn't have like, I think it could use some extra spice to it to bring out some of those flavors. Like, um, you know, maybe a so, something like cardamom or, um, I, I, you know, I don't think baking spices so much would go for this. Um, but maybe something like a pepper, maybe not black pepper, but, um, you know, like a, a Thai chili or something like some, some sort of spice that could go into this that could add like a little punch and bring out some of those notes that pineapple like does well with a, a brown sugar might go well. Like if it was added to this, uh, to bring out some of those notes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
And I think that's that's probably the biggest takeaway from a drink like this. So, like, I'm a nerd, and we're doing this remote, so I'm looking up the pH as a fruit. And, you know, pineapple is a little bit more acidic than apple juice, but it's, apple juice is also acidic. I think that's the hit, you know. The funk is nice. It does, you know, maybe it's a little much for this drink, but it does take away from it. But you've got two fairly acidic substances being, like, the primary flavors for this. And I think that's the part that hit. It's just, uh, it's not like sour acidic, but it's just too much on your tongue. Like having drank a couple of sips of this, like I feel it in my belly. That this is a, like a very acidic drink. It probably needed something that wouldn't necessarily raise the pH, but would just cut through the taste of that acidity, you know? Right. So I, th- I think yeah. you're 100% right. Some spices, something like that, that round out that flavor would, would help this. Right. Yeah, I I don't uh, I I especially for the price. I think it was like three bucks for um, um, the the little can, uh, and then I think mm-hmm. you can get like a six pack for like you know nine dollars or something like that at Total Wine. Um, not bad in in the context, uh, but you know they're just like the last thing. There are other things for that money I probably would try to get. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if pineapple and and apple juice and you only want the flavor of pineapple and apple juice together in an alcoholic beverage, this isn't bad. It's yeah, I'll give you that. You know, if you're really looking for that, the funk might might not be what you're looking for. But overall, I mean, you cannot deny this tastes like apples and pineapple. You know? Yeah. So let's talk about studying for certs. Uh, this is a topic that we talk about on here all the time um but so i got a second job recently we've talked about this before mm-hmm. um yeah i don't necessarily need the second job but i th- felt like it was a challenge and i you know it'll help me pay off a, a couple of debts like we had to replace the air conditioner and a couple other things like that this year and that was yeah. really expensive right um so this this job basically what i do is i get uh, a technical um like a certificate uh instructions manual or um you know something like that for like doing one of the industry standard certificates so like a study guide or you know some sort of technical book or something like that i evaluate it and then i write test questions based off of it and so one of the things that i i kind of realized and, and and we've done this before is that um, writing questions and then having to like write accurate answers with some sort of standard actually makes you learn the material a little bit more in depth than just reading it um, would, or just maybe just writing flashcards and putting some factoids down that you know you're going to have to like know. Like you, you kind of have to like think, especially if you're not writing them for yourself. Like if I was writing these for you. I have to think about like, what am I actually trying to convey to Ricky to get him to give me an answer back to show that he understands the material that he read, which I think is a slightly different thing than I'm writing this question with the intent of having uh, a memorization of a factoid, you know? 
You see, you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was writing the practice tests we used for the DevNet Associate, like I, I felt the same way. Like it re because it makes you not only think about, okay, what's something that's probably important to know. So like, what's going to be my answer to this question? But then for it to be a good question, you have to think of a couple other things that aren't right, but someone might think are right. Right. You know, so it really makes you sit there and think about, okay, the answer is not just A, but like, would someone have thought it was B and why? You know, and it's that extra step of like, I have to not only find the right answer, but find three things that are potentially close to right, but not quite, that really like, make that stuff cement into you, you know? Right. And you need to be able to explain why, right? Yep. So, you know, if you take something like, um, you know, what method of troubleshooting would you use to determine um, a, a given a scenario, right? Um, and, you know, maybe you have the answer of follow the path, uh, which is a legitimate troubleshooting thing, top down, bottom up, you know, and may maybe what you're looking for is something that's like pointing towards a, a faulty wire. So you, you start, you, what you're looking for is bottom up, right. Um, as your troubleshooting methodology, you need to explain why, you know, uh, by using the bottom up, you know, methodology, you're able to, determine when there's broken links or uh, damaged traces uh, in a wire that would cause interference, jitter, or loss of connectivity. Uh, you know, like having some sort of physical inspection of the media is able to provide uh, for a quick resolution to this particular kind of scenario. And the others are things that you could do and possibly get there, but you're not going to get there as fast or you're not going to get there as efficiently. And being able to just explain those things, like sometimes there's a couple of times I've written a, a few questions and I realize, you know, either one of these answers could be right. And it's just based off of the source material that it's wrong. I should just take that other answer out. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. not a good answer. You know, and maybe you throw somebody a bone like, uh, maybe instead of your fourth answer being uh, divide and conquer, which is a legitimate troubleshooting methodology, uh, you say something like uh, ephemeral troubleshooting, which isn't a legitimate troubleshooting methodology. You know, that that mm. doesn't exist. So, yeah. That, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of nerding out on this. Like, this is fascinating. I didn't really discover it. It's something I've always kind of known, but by actually doing it, at such a like large level and having to like consume so much data and information around that, it really like, it gives me a new appreciation for people and um, for people that write these questions. But it also like makes me a little bit more like whenever I'm doing study material, like some of the like books that we've read recently, like the dev core book, the study guide book, those questions at the beginning, uh, you know, I got some, I got some complaints sometimes, <laughs> you know, anyways, uh, you, you got anything else you want to say about that topic? 
No, just that you're you're 100 percent right, really, in that observation. I I did tutoring for many many years, and it's hard. It's much harder to sit down and like write test questions and flashcards, but you get a lot more out of test questions in terms of mastery of the material. So let's talk about the RTX uh, 4080 12 gigabyte. Did you hear about this? About what happened with that? No, I heard it got like announced. They showed off some of the the stuff for it. But I've not heard anything with the last week right. or two. So the two versions of the 4080 were released. One was a 16 mm. gigabyte card, and one was a 12 gigabyte card. Many people have said the 4080 12 gigabyte card was mm-hmm. really a 4070 that they, you know, the Nvidia just wanted to call a 4080 for some reason. Well, the reviews and everything basically came back so harsh on it compared and and the performance of it was so much lower than the other 4080. I mean like in some things it's like half the amount. The really? Nvidia just was like all right, we're just going to so we release the card. We we're going to unrelease it. <laughs> so oh, it's basically like like un un uh you know call or call back all the cards that they had already produced and shipped out um and are going to have to go back and like look at them and figure it out. So if you got a 4080 12 gig, that's actually going to be kind of a rare card, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Um yeah, which, might not want to Use it for use, but you can keep it as a collector's item. Yeah, exactly. Which you know that might that might actually add some some legitimacy to the to its existence now that it's been unreleased. Um, which I, you know we aren't the first people to report on that. There's been plenty of news outlets that have talked about it. But um, so here here's the thing though. It still performs better than like the 3080. Yeah, you know. It's a, it's, it's like a slight bump up from that. It's not much better, but it's, it's a, a slight bit. It, it, but it's like the 3080's retail price was about half of what this card is, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit less than half. I think, um, for a small bump, is that, is that worth getting a new card or are you, I mean, I'm pretty happy with my 3080 and my 3080 Ti. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was telling somebody about it not too long ago, but I've had my 3080 for, I think, almost a year now. Yep. Or somewhere close to there. And I've never even had the fans boot up, like in any audible way. I just don't play things that demand enough for the 3080 to even care. You know, I'm still over here playing Skyrim in, in 1K. I don't even do 2K. Um, so, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't make the jump. In all honesty, it's it's hard to justify it. I think nowadays, and this is probably just me being an old man now, that like I don't really care about the latest graphics. I care more about stability than almost anything else, you know. So if my games are stable, I'm playing more indie titles than I've ever before in my life. You know, I'm not really playing the big AAA games anymore. I mean, I'm probably just going to run my 3080 into the ground and then just buy four or five years from now whatever comes out, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I'm still running in some of my systems. I'm still running like 1060s and I'm happy with their performance. Yeah. Um, I had a 650, um, a GTX 650. It wasn't even a 650 TI that I played up until I got um, my 1060. 
and it just basically wouldn't it, it would stream games but it wouldn't play some native games without having you know issues um i've still got that card around here somewhere and it's you know it was awesome um but it's not um it's not viable after you know a bit of time uh as as a graphics card to have things like that but at 3080 i mean there's people that are still running seven um 750s um and 750 ti's and their stuff and they're perfectly happy with that you know they just consume more power and whatnot but um and with the prescience uh i don't know why i've, I've wanted to use that word the last couple things but anyways uh with with the the um the getting rid of the ethereum uh you know proof of work um which a lot of cards were being used for uh the need for these higher power you know crazy cards has gone down considerably um and video games unless you're running 4k 120 hertz or greater don't really take advantage uh or at at super high settings like ultimate settings on like cyberpunk 2077 you know you're not pushing that level of performance you don't need that you know you know what i'm saying um mm -hmm. so it's it's really hard to justify buying a fifteen hundred dollar or thousand dollar graphics card to go in a system to do anything you know um so speaking of that what do you think about ethereum going proof of stake instead of being proof of work I think it's probably a good change overall. I think proof of stake is still kind of early in proof. Like I think people trust, you know, proof of work really well. You know, it's kind of been the thing for most crypto for a really long time. But I also think it's probably not super sustainable. You know, I think the switch over to proof of stake is probably kind of like a better economic system if we want to think of Ethereum as an asset, you know. Mm -hmm. And I mean, certainly the, you know, the energy requirements for it massively less is something like 99.5% less to run um, proof of stake over proof of work for Ethereum. So that's good. I'm actually interested to see what it does to some of like the graphics market and stuff like that. Because we were just talking about a bit ago how expensive new graphics cards are. And it's because a lot of them are used in crypto. At least I like to think that, you know, that might not actually be the case. I don't work at one of these card manufacturers. I can't say for certain, but you know, I know when we start talking about, you know, a Bitcoin costs $21,000 to mine just in the work economy. And you're saying, oh, okay, well, what really is $2,000 for a graphics card? If I'm going to end up spending $21,000 to mine the thing anyway, you know? Yeah. So and once you hit that kind of proof of stake that doesn't require all that stuff, it's their sole market for $2,000 graphics cards at like a large scale. Yeah. And, and with, you know, things going below that, the cost of what it costs to mine them, it makes it uneconomical to mine essentially. Yeah. I don't and have the numbers, but it, I'd be real interested to know like how many people are still mining Bitcoin now that the price has gone down. Like, are there people it, still doing it, hoping it goes back up or have a lot of people jumped to a different crypto 
I guess so I don't have the people, numbers. Just open speculation. People jump. My my understanding is people jump from like Bitcoin to you know Ethereum and some other things. There are still people who are mining it, of course, but like most of the farms just tanked. They just yeah. as soon as as soon as it went below what was able, they just sold off all their assets um, and you know liquidated as much as they could. So it flooded the market with all these like used graphics cards. Um, and that's like a huge thing. You can actually buy um, new graphics cards for their retail prices now. You know, so like 3080s and stuff like that. Um, uh, NVIDIA or AMD cards. And then with um, the the new Intel cards coming out, there's um, a significant loss uh, in the amount of um, value there for many of the the cards that are out there and there's no there, there's nobody like trying to like scout these things or resell them because they're so valuable because they can make you so much profit so it's it's really like tank that market um, which in, in like for people that like like to use these things to play video games like me and mine like on the side to like make a couple extra bucks every now and then it's it's great. I love it. Um, but you know, they're like it's a wasteland out there. And as far as like the um, the reddits, you know, the subreddits and everything like that that are that are out there to like talk about mining. Um, like the, there are people that are still dedicated to it. But even people that have gone to proof of stake, and one of the one of the problems I have with it is you can actually control the value of the of the coin or something like that if you get a large enough amount of stake in the in the coin so in order to be one of the validators you have to have so much money and if you own enough of if you have enough money to buy enough of the validators you can effectively manipulate the cost of the coin which makes the decentralization of it and um, that proof of work kind of thing uh, didn't have that problem. So the, the decentralization of it becomes less um, good. It, it actually yeah. like, it's kind of hurting uh, proof of, of stake stuff. So like I, I, um, I still, you know, have the, some, some of my atom coins. Right. And, I just watch how the value of them goes five or six dollars in like a couple days because somebody wants to, you know, they've got these validators basically fighting with each other. Somebody's got enough of the um, uh, of the the proof of stake, you know, chunk out there that they can just like basically take and drive the value down by. Um, selling off a bunch of coins or, uh, you know, like, I mean, basically the same sort of things that people do to manipulate the stock market. It's basically what I'm getting at. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy. The, the crypto market right now is insane. Um, I'm, I'm still watching it. I'm still interested in it. It's kind of a nerdy thing. 
um, that I like to be part of, especially since we started, what was it like five, six years ago, we started uh, mining stuff together when we started mm -hmm. doing Ravencoin. Still, you know, still all about that, but eh, it's not really, it's not really worth like running my computers all the time to mine coins at this point in time, I don't think. Um, so I might get back into it for a little bit. What about, what about you? What do you think about, about mining right now? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've not really touched it in quite some time. I've got some stuff set up, but it was all mostly like for Bitcoin. So I'm certainly not going to turn that on. I have been thinking about just buying some Ethereum to sit on it, get it, you know, get it all staked and just see how that goes. It's kind of more of like an experiment than necessarily looking to turn a profit. Yeah, I, I might do that at some point in time. Um, some of the smaller staking coins are fun to play with too, like um, you know the the ones like Adam and and um, I, I have another one I can't think of right off the top of my head. I should have should have had it, but um, I'll look it up here in just a second. Sol Solana. Uh, th those two coins have have really like been just on a crazy ride, uh, and not they don't they aren't nearly as costly as like Ethereum to play around with. But yeah, so did you see that uh, Nvidia has now like killed the LHR drivers? Yeah, I hadn't heard about that. So basically, you know, like if you got a thirty eighty, thirty ninety, or thirty eighty Ti or thirty sixty, any of those cards. After a certain point, they were all LHR, low hash rate. Mm -hmm. Well, that was all like a driver level thing, right? NVIDIA said it couldn't be hacked, and people like went and hacked it and were able to like get around it. And I mean, for the most part, those cards still were mostly profitable um, for mining. Well, now they're just like, well, since mining is not really a big thing, let's just kill that driver. It's not necessarily not necessary anymore. Uh, Ooh, so now yeah. if you wanted to, you could go back and like mine with those cards. Quite <laughs> insane. It, insanity. Um, yeah, that's a bit, that's a bit much. It's like, oh, you know, it was like the, whatever it was, Tesla or somebody got in, uh, in some news articles for like the, it was BMW. It's like the heating on your seats is like a, a pay for feature. BMW. You don't pay. BMW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you don't pay the the fee, you don't you can't use this feature of your physical car anymore, and it just kind of reeks of that same thing. It's like oh, we've turned it off in software. I guess we don't need it anymore. You can use it now. It just I don't know. If my hardware can do it, I feel like my hardware should do it. You know? Yeah. Why are you soft locking stuff from me? Yeah, that that's just that just screams. I don't want you to own the thing that we that you bought from us, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, anyways, I think this is the end of this episode. A lot of spicy takes, a lot of, lot of, lot of babbling on about about technology and and graphics cards. But um, yeah, so this has been season five, episode fourteen of the Beer and Broadband podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it, and we'll catch you next time.